coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. <clears throat> yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. Turn to somebody say, friends. In the midst of this wonderful series called Friends. And I want to also thank you for coming on Spring Break Weekend. I didn't know that this was a thing where people just vanish on Spring Break, but apparently it's a miracle every year. Okay, so we're in this midst of a series called Friends. Anyone, anyone watch the show? Anyone see the TV show? Uh, <laughs> a few people are like, yes, no, or no, you're sinners. But that's fine either way. Uh, you all know what I'm talking about. So uh, we're talking about this idea of friends. And the thing that people really connected with about the TV show Friends was it was a group of like 20 they, well, they were pretending to be 20-somethings. They're clearly 30 to 40-somethings. And uh, they all came from different places, different walks of life, and they be, kind of became this, like, family in the midst of a city, and everyone took care of one another and looked out for one another. And when I was thinking about what the, what the church should look like, I'm like, man, the church should look like friends. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> who gave this guy a microphone? In the sense that, we all come from different places, we all come from different backgrounds, we all come from different walks of life, and yet we've all gathered here in this place in the name of Jesus. For many of us, the only thing that any of us have in common is one thing, and it's Jesus. And yet, God created this idea of, of family that we could all come together and take care of one another, that we could be more than just friends, that we could be family, the family of God, that we're connected, that we've got each other's backs. This is what it says in, in John 13. These are the words of Jesus. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You know, sometimes we like to substitute in other words, especially if you've been in church for a long time. You like to say other things. You like to say, well, my spirituality will prove to the world that I am his disciple. My spiritual gifting will prove to the world that I am his disciple. When I play Shine FM in my car, it will prove to the world that I am his disciple. <laughs> we have one listener in the house. Um. <laughs> Anyways. So we don't, we don't necessarily default to your love for one another will prove to the world that you're disciples. It's like my Bible knowledge will prove to the world that I'm his disciple. My Christian t-shirt, which I'm, I'm not, I forgot mine today apparently, will prove to the world that I am his disciple. No, 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 but the words of Jesus say specifically your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, if that's the case, then we've got a lot of work to do. Maybe it's just me. So then uh, the Apostle John, John the Beloved, the one uh, who, who he told everybody in his gospel over and over, listen, Jesus and I are tight, we're best friends, I'm the one whom Jesus loves the most. Like he had this really special relationship with Jesus on earth. He writes these words, and these words are the ideal. Now just before I jump any further, I want to let you know that notes for today are available on the YouVersion Bible app. So if you open up the YouVersion Bible app, hit the bottom right hand button, which is more Hit events, and you'll see Engage City Church, and the notes should be there, because I've got a few large portions of Scripture today for us to make it through. So here's the ideal. Uh, this is the ideal in 1 John 3, verse 11. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Oh, wonderful. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 
Now, this is, this is the ideal. This is what, God, what God, John is saying to the church. Listen, this is the message. We've all heard this for over and over. You've heard it since you're a little kid. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the message that you've heard from the very beginning. Love one another. That's the ideal. Now, here, just a few verses later, this is the real. Verse 13, 18. Dear children, because you're acting like it, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. So the ideal is we should love one another. Your love will prove, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. But the real is let's not merely say that we love each other, but let's show this truth by our actions. Let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's actually start caring for one another. It's like this novel idea, especially today in this you know, I hate to be the old-timer, like, in this day and age. But the reality is we think we're more connected than ever, but in, if we're being honest, we're probably the most alone that we've ever been. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Don't just pretend to love others. Oh, he got me right where I hurt. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring one another. Don't just pretend to love, either, you know, to love others, really love them. So how do we really love people? How do we stop pretending? How do we get over our propensity to put on a good face and to look nice and to say hello and to be pleasant and to be polite. But how do we go beyond our politeness, our Canadian politeness? You see, in our culture as Canadians, like we're, you know, we're the nice people of the world, right? You travel somewhere, you put the little stitching on your bag. You want everyone to know that you're Canadian, not American. <laughs> you know, you're like, listen, I'm from Canada. I'm not crazy, and uh, I'm not going to offend you. I'm really nice, actually. We say A a lot, but you'll get over it. You'll get used to it. You'll start using it soon as well. We're those nice people, right? Canadians are nice. We're polite. We're good-natured. We're kind. But if we're being really honest about who we are as a people in our culture group, what we really are is we're polite as a protection. We're polite as a protection. We allow our kindness and our politeness to be a guard that lets us kind of stand back here so that you don't get too close. Oh, we'll be, like, we're not. We're pleasant. It's like, hi, great to see you. Don't ever want to know the details of your life. Carol Lee, great to, oh, awesome. How's that coffee? I don't want to know your problems. Hey, I'm Brett. Great to meet you. I like your hair. Please don't tell me anything meaningful about you. Like, but that's, but that's us, right? That's us. We're really nice. We're polite. But please, nothing that it could affect me. I don't want your stuff on me. I don't want your baggage. I'm just trying to be a nice person. Well, so don't pretend to love others. Don't, don't pretend with politeness. Really love others. So how? How do we do this? That's what this second half of this verse is, the how. How do, we, how do we really love people? We hate what is wrong, and we hold tightly to what is good, 
and we love each other with genuine affection. Which means, I mean, you might have heard this phrase, you know, if you've been in church for any length of time or you've been a Christian, or if you're just trying to be a good person, you're like, I love them, but I don't like them. You know, Christy, love you, but I do not like you. Struggle's real. <laughs> now I know how she relates to me. Our relationship is built on a foundation of lies. So to love each other with the genuine affection, we need to hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. How, how do you even do this? Now, to make everyone even more uncomfortable than you already are, especially if this is your first time, we're going to go to the book of Revelation. And all the Christians are like, oh my goodness. And all the new people are like, wow, that sounds great. I want to hear what God has to say. So, <laughs> Revelation chapter 1. I'm just going to turn this off because before we know it, there'll be a miracle and just disappear. Uh, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And I'm going to just turn over there in this good old hard copy. Matt's going to help us out on the screen, starting in verse 9. We're going to read a bunch of scripture. So if, if, if you're ready for the book of Revelation, you say, I'm, I don't know. All right, all right. <laughs> Perfect. John, uh, Revelation 1, verse 9. I'm going to just set the stage. So the guy that we just heard talking in First John that said the things like, we should love one another, and let's not merely say we love one another. This is the same guy who wrote this book. He's living in exile. He was kicked out. The Roman government kicked him out because anyone who they felt practiced witchcraft or sorcery or anything and anything that could be used against the Roman government in terms of like foreknowledge and strategy, they just kicked him out and they said, go live on this other island. Go away. Get out of here. And so whether or not you were hearing from the devil or you were hearing from Jesus like John, they didn't care. They just said, you could use that against us. Get out of here. So John is living in exile. He's living away and he's actually helping the churches um, that have just kind of started up in the last 30 years since Jesus' death, and he's writing letters back to the churches to help them just get through life. And what he's discovering is a lot of problems. Why? Because where there's people, <laughs> there's problems. We could just go home now. Where there's people, there's problems. All right, book of Revelation. John chapter, uh, Revelation 1 verse 9. I keep doing that. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for teaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. So he was like, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Right? He's just like, he's just singing on a beach somewhere. Church on the beach. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. Now, when we're reading this book, and there's a lot of visual imagery, uh, I just need you to understand that when John says a loud voice like a trumpet blast, he didn't know what speakers were. So the loudest thing that he knew was a trumpet blast. So the voice did not come out like a melodic song. It was just really, really loud. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book. Except it was happy, I think, so not mad. <laughs> write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, that one, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. So he's getting this, like, picture. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was somebody like the Son of Man, where the Son of Man is, is code for Jesus. I saw somebody that looked like Jesus, but he looked a little different. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. So he switched the blue one and put on a gold one. He's wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, he did what we all did, and he fell at his feet as if I were dead. And that's kind of like the panic mode moment when you're like, oh my, <laughs> don't kill me. But he laid his right hand on me, so he reached down and put his hand on John's shoulder. Don't be afraid. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. So John has this crazy experience where he sees Jesus on a Sunday morning. It's on the Lord's Day. He's singing on the beach, his favorite jams. Maybe it was Amazing Grace. I don't know. Pick whatever you think Jesus' favorite was or John's favorite was. And he just starts singing, and Jesus speaks from behind him. He turns around. Now, what we know about John is that we know that he was BFFs with Jesus. We know that he was the one whom Jesus loved. We know that they had a close like relationship on earth, that he knew what Jesus looked like as a man. We also know that John knows what Jesus looked like as the resurrected God because something changed. He was able to float through walls and show up in locked rooms and do incredible things as the resurrected God, but he had never seen Jesus like this. In fact, this moment in Revelation is the fulfillment of a prayer that Jesus prays in John 17 when he says, Father, I want them to be here with me when I'm, you know, when I'm like me. John was the first person to ever experience Jesus like this. And what, what is this even? This is Jesus in the fullness of who he is as God. He's the first person to ever see Jesus in this way. You're like, I think that's crazy. John did too, which was why he was afraid. Because when you see something that you're so unfamiliar with, you don't even have words to properly describe what it is you're seeing. You're just saying, well, his eyes were on fire, but they were so intense, I didn't know what else to say. When he spoke, it was like a two-edged sword. Why? Because it was piercing every part of me, every word that he said. I saw Jesus in his fullness and in that moment John knew that he would never be the same again he just saw all of him in a way that he tried to put on paper and Jesus said I gotta I got I need you to do something I need you to write down everything that you see and send it off to these people not just to these seven churches that he's talking to but these notes that you write down are going to be notes that are read for thousands and thousands of years until I come back because the incredible thing about the Bible and the words of Jesus is that when he speaks them and we read them, they work no matter what century you live in. 
It's amazing how when you read the problems that each and every one of these churches had, because every church has problems, because where there's people, there's... Jesus says, in spite of your problems, I want you to write these things because other people are going to go through these things, and they need to know that I care even about their little interpersonal issues. Did you ever do those optical illusions when you were a kid? Do you use those in school still? I remember doing it in school. Matt, do we have, do we have an example here? My question is, what do you see here, friends? Which one do you see? What do you see? Just yell it out. What do you see? We got a duck. Is it a bunny or a duck? Which is it? Oh, it's both. Matt, do we got another one? It's a bunny and a duck. What's, it, what's this one? Just yell it out. What do we got? What do we got? <laughs> it's the lost cup. Yeah. <laughs> Indi- someone call Indiana Jones. We found it. Some people see a vase or a goblet. Others see two faces facing one another. The point is, this is an optical illusion, and sometimes you can look at something and you can see it in only one way. You just get caught in seeing it as this one thing. But if you look at it for just like a little bit longer, or if somebody says, hey, what about this? It like changes your whole perception. The eyes of your understanding are open, and you see it in a whole new way. For those of us who only saw the vase, when someone says it's two faces, it might take a moment, but okay, I guess they're lying, but maybe I'll pretend that they see it. I remember when I was in class and we used to do these. I don't know why teachers did these. You, I would stare at it, and there's that times when the ones where you look at the dot, and it's supposed to, like, eventually turn. Inside. Never saw that one, ever. They're all like, hey, did, man, did you guys see that beaver? I'm like, yeah, that was crazy how that beaver did his thing there on the page. That was unbelievable. Uh, you know, a little groupthink action happening. But sometimes you, you look at something, and you're so sure that you see it, but then something else happens, and you just see it in a whole brand new way. This is what's happening to John as he's having this encounter with Jesus. We're going to fast forward 18 chapters to Revelation chapter 19. Are you guys handling it so far? It's not so scary. See, the funny thing about the book of Revelation, and I'm going to tell you this story as I'm the only person with a paper Bible turning to the actual uh, thing here, is uh, when I was in grade 7, I went to this camp called Pembina, which you either love or you hate. It's There's no in-between. And... Um, And as grade seven boys at like 11 o'clock at night when you should be sleeping, when you're growing up in church, you, you talk about crazy things like the book of Revelation, and you talk about the mark of the beast and Jesus coming back and all these uh, like plagues and persecutions, people dying, and you try and talk about the dragons and all the crazy stuff that gets mentioned in this book, and you just get terrified of this book to the place where you just never want to look at it. And so sometimes when I, when I look at, or when we mention uh, the book of Revelation uh, to Christians, like, oh, you're going to talk about that. Okay, uh, I, I'm, I'm on, it's spring break, so I'm going to see you next week. But we don't have to be afraid of any portion of Scripture. What we have to understand first is who God's writing to. God is writing to John, his best friend, the one whom he loves, and he's giving him a picture to convey to all of us. And John's doing his best to write down and jot down what he's seeing, things that he may not even understand. If we, if we understand that John is actually looking into the future, which could be happening in this revelation, then if he sees an airplane and they don't even believe the world is round at this point, what do you think he's going to write down? Dragon. So I'm not saying that 
he saw an airplane. I'm just saying when we, we got to understand who wrote it and why it was happening. God was trying to give us a picture. And he was trying to change John's perception in the same way that he's trying to change ours. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Wow, you're very almost there. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd. So let's just see what that sounds like. You're a vast-ish crowd. So let's get a shout. One, two, three. Not bad. All right. Better than I thought you were going to do. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean's waves or the crash of loud thunder. So what you did there times ten. It was just like, it was just like a roar. And this is what they were saying. Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give him honor for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. Wordy song. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. Just falling. No, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God. He's falling at the feet of the angel. Just like your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus, worship only God for the essence of prophecies to give a clear witness for Jesus. So the, the scene shifts. The apostle John sees... Jesus in his fullness, he sees him as God, he sees his intensity, and he sees for a moment the very thing which he loves the most, which is the church, which is us, which is God's people. In Revelation 1, John sees Jesus like he's never seen him before, not just because he looks different, but because he really sees him for the first time, he grasps, grasps and he understands how much God cares for you. And for me, for each and every one of us, he sees this intense, burning love for us. In Revelation 19, the scene changes with these people singing a song about a wedding. Now, I've done, anyone go to a wedding recently? Any wedding attenders? Anyone ever go to a wedding? Any? Okay, great. I've been to a few. Officiated a few. And there's always that moment that every girl in the room is looking forward to in her own life. And that is the moment when at the back of the church or building or field, whatever hipster location you're going to these days, the bride appears for the first time and everybody stands. And if it's just right, everyone gasps and cries in one breath. And all the men are like, oh, <laughs> seen it. <laughs> but every woman's like, oh. <laughs> every time, every time. And what they're hoping is hap will happen is that the groom at the end of the aisle will also shed but a single tear. Now, I'm going to tell you, give you just some advice. Fake it. Because... Uh, <laughs> Because I didn't, and I'm still paying for it almost 10 years later. So I'm just going to let you know, you just, <sighs> beautiful.
And that is the moment that is being described right here. When for the first time, John, in the audience, sees the bride, perfect, beautiful, without spot, without wrinkle. I don't know why it says that, with the big, long dress and the perfect hair and the veil and the bouquets on point and the vibes are just right and people are singing and everyone's like, she's beautiful. And Jesus is standing at the end of the aisle like a groom waiting to receive his bride and he's overcome with love and with emotion as he looks at her. And this is an incredible picture that most of us like to gloss over, especially the dudes because we don't like to think of ourselves as brides. But the, the idea of the bride of Christ is that the church is the bride of Christ. And he's trying to paint a picture of how much love and affection that he has for you and that he has for me. It's that gasp-worthy moment when for the first time he sees her in all her glory. When I was a kid, um, my mom used to make my birthday cake. Anyone else's mom make their birthday cake? Yeah. And my mom did something special. Uh, she would take coins, right? Wrap, this isn't, I think this must have been Pinterest before there was Pinterest. Wrap them up in aluminum. I don't know where y'all got this idea from. Wrap this up in aluminum foil, these coins. Put them in the cake. Bake the cake so that as you were eating this cake, you would then bite a coin, unwrap it, and uh, you would all, all the kids would get a little surprise. Hopefully nobody choked and died. And to my knowledge, nobody has. But upon further review, I'm wondering if my mom was paying people to be my friends. That was the first thing I thought when I thought about it later. But... I'm, yeah, but I'm also like, you know, you get the surprise, and you, as a kid, you get pretty pumped up about, like, I did not get a coin in my piece of cake. Give me three more. I will find some coins to go home with so that I can save up to go to the dollar store and get some useless piece of junk. So you would hoard all your coins, and you would be searching, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm searching in this cake. You'd end up with cakes matched up because people are looking the coins. Everyone had a different strategy. I was the mouthfeel guy, so a big like, you know. Others are mashers and searchers. People, others are like strategic cutters. I think it probably says something about you, but I'm like, you know, this is like dripping with like, and you're hoping, now on further review, I'm hoping that any of those like, number one, like anything that was on, on the coin, I hope they were washed. And I hope that any, like, materials that were used are not in my body. If I'm walking around half nickel, it's because I ate a lot of surprise coin <laughs> cake. But if we think about the headspace that John is when he gets this revelation, he gets this message from Jesus, he's dealing with a lot of garbage. He's dealing with a lot of problems. When he gets this experience with Jesus, number one, he's living in exile. Exile was never a fun thing, in case anyone's wondering. Exile's not cool where you're literally banned by your government from ever returning. Not a cool thing. At least it was an island. We're going to assume it was nice. But still exile. Number two, power struggle. He was a leader. He was a pastor. And he constantly had people trying to take over his stuff. People were trying to just, he's like, well, you're in exile. So there's a massive power struggle happening for all the churches that he was in charge of leading because everyone saw this void of leadership. And they all thought, well, I should probably be that person. So there's this massive power struggle. He was dealing with churches turning into cults, just getting crazy. Like, 
doing crazy stuff where they would isolate and not believe anything that they were supposed to believe and just do crazy things so that they could control and manipulate people. He was dealing with his friends, turning on him and abandoning him, relational issues. All the people that were like, yeah, we love you and we support you. They're like, he's crazy. And they're just like abandoning him and turning on him. He's dealing with a lot of inner turmoil when he's looking at this church that he's supposed to love and supposed to care for. I, can, I think something's going on. On top of that, people in his church, just like it's happening all over the world today, people were dying for their faith in Jesus. He got off good because he was living in Patmos on an island. So John's relationship with the church is a little complex. His emotional makeup at the time is probably shaky at best. So he's singing his heart out at the beach, putting out an SOS speak and saying, God, I need you right now. How am I supposed to love these people? I'm, I'm the guy who writes the letter about loving. And I don't even like them. I don't even want to like them. They're all jerks. And at just the right time, at just the right place, Jesus shows up and meets John on the beach. And when he sees Jesus like that in his fullness, like you've never seen him before, everything changes. And then the scene shifts. He sees other pictures and he sees his bride. And he sees the church is perfect and complete. He looks past all the quirks and the problems and the struggles, and he sees the goal. You know, the Apostle Paul, in his books, he, he talks about, like, sports all the time, right? He's always talking about, like, athletics. He's like, run the race. First Corinthians 9, 24, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. You know, if you're going to... You're going to be in a race, you might as well run to win. <laughs> I wonder. Wonder what might happen to us, to our church, to our relationship. If we dug for the gold and people in the same way that we dug for the coins and the cake. Because when we see Jesus, when we meet him, when we encounter him, it begins to change the way we see things. It begins to change our perception. Uh, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul prays it, that the eyes of our understanding would be open so that we could see things in a whole new way. What if, when we looked at people, we see what could be instead of what should be? See, we default to, oh, you shouldn't act like that, and you shouldn't do that, and you shouldn't talk like that, and you definitely shouldn't watch that movie or that show, or whatever, whatever behavior you want to manipulate and control. That only goes so far. What if we saw somebody and we loved them based on what they could be, that perfect bride, that thing? What if we treated them like they've already won the prize, like they've already won the race, and now we're just extracting all the hidden gems and treasures that are inside their lives? What if instead of controlling people to do what we want them to do, what if we just walk with them and we help them discover the prize at the end of each journey and each road they walked down? What if we didn't see them as projects and just like people to be loved? Because when we see Jesus, everything changes. Our perception changes. If, if we're getting closer to him, 
then we should begin to love the things that he loves. And there's nothing that he loves more than his church, which here is described as a perfect, brilliant, beautiful bride. How do we love one another? We see what could be instead of what should be. We look for the treasure. We look for the goal. We help people succeed. Now there's some difficult moments, and in those moments we hate what is wrong, but we hold tightly to what is good. What's good? That person is good. There is gold in that thing. We can, we can disagree, we can not like it, we can even hate what's going on, but we're going to hold tightly to that person. We're not going to let go because God's got something for them. Jesus has something for them. This isn't just like, oh, just do whatever you want and everything's going to be all right. No, it's going to be the opposite. It's me saying, yeah, fine, do whatever you want, but I'm sticking right next to you. I'm going to walk with you, and I'm not going to let you forget how much Jesus cares for you and he loves you in spite of what's going on. I'm not going anywhere. When everyone else gets afraid because it's getting dark in here, I realize that I'm turning the lights on because I got Jesus inside of me and I'm going to roll with you bro I'm not going to abandon you I'm not going to say yeah you just go do your thing and they'll come around eventually no I'm going to chase them down oh, I got one man Jeff why don't you come there's a guy named Kim Clement he's a worship leader thing he says I see you in the future, and you look much better than you look right now. <laughs> I see you in the future, and you look much better than you look right now. Why don't we do this? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'll talk to you for a second. We've all got people in our lives that we're trying to wrap around how we can love them. because We just, we don't agree We're honest, we don't like them. And yet it's that same face when we close our eyes and we ask Jesus to show us who he wants us to connect with. It's that same face that keeps popping up. And we wonder, God, how do I even reconcile that with my beliefs? How do I even, how do I even overcome myself? The first thing is we recognize that we can't do it without Jesus. It wasn't John that saw people in a different way. It was when John saw Jesus that all of a sudden he saw people the way that Jesus saw them. So we draw near to Jesus and we ask, God, help me to see this person the way that you see them. Help me to see the gold. Help me to see the treasure. Help me see the coin. And then the second thing that we do, we take a trait of Jesus is faithfulness we put on, on ourselves. You know, we've talked about clothing ourselves in love. What if we clothe ourselves in faithfulness, the kind of faithfulness that says, you borrowing the words of Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Say, I'm going to stick by. I'm going to walk closer than a brother. Oh, that's what that means. Yeah, that's what that means. I'm going to stick by close. And when you turn around, you slap me in the face. I'm going to turn the cheek and I'm going to walk the extra mile. And I'm going to go even further than I should go. I'm going to love extravagantly because I know how much Jesus loves me and I definitely know how much he loves you. And you just need me to be a physical embodiment of that love now. If you're here today 
with every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here today and you would say, I can't believe Jesus thinks about me this way. I can't believe he doesn't care about any of the other stuff. Can I tell you today, he cares about the other stuff. He just cares so much that he wants to love you through it doesn't stop him it's not a barrier and I can tell you it's not going to stop me and it's not going to stop us at this church and this house and this family from welcoming you in we got a sign that says welcome home and you're safe here but if you're here today and you say I want to start this journey with Jesus today I might not know what that means I not might not know what that looks like but today I'm starting a journey with Jesus who cares infinitely about me if that's you today every head is bowed every eye is closed nobody's looking around but I can tell you that there's people praying for you right now that feeling that you felt earlier in the day you're like what are these vibes in here that's just Jesus letting you know that he's here he's present he's around and today he wants to start a relationship and a journey with you if that's you today I'm gonna count down from three when I get down to one give me a quick wave be bold be courageous and do it quick. When I get down to one, give me a quick wave. You want to start your journey with Jesus. Give me a wave in three, two, one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In a moment, we're all going to pray together. Bev is going to meet you at the back with some Bibles if you wave in just a moment. Well, I want everyone in this room to pray with me. We've got a group of people who are accepting Jesus Christ in their life for the first time. Everybody repeat after me and repeat loudly. Say, Dear Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you. <laughs> right now, I accept you into my life. I start this journey with you. Today is the day. I give you all of my successes. I give you all my wins. I give you all my losses, all my failures, all my mistakes, all my sins. Wipe the slate clean. I want to start fresh with Jesus. So Jesus, I invite you into my life. You're the boss. I'm going to follow you. And everybody set. Amen. Why don't we give a big round of applause for those that made that decision today. You've been listening to the Engage Life, powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out EngageChurch.ca.